Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every good conversation happens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride from author to author. We want to give you an experience where you learn and enjoy the conversation. Authors tell you about their journey, you learn about new books, and at the end of the day, you go home with a smile on your face because the Author's Porch is a beacon of light bringing you home to the family you never knew you had. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every great conversation happens. We are super excited because, May, we have got a fully stocked show. Uh, what? It, I told you I was going to mess up my words, Bill. I'm so glad you're here with me because I would just be sitting here messing up everything. How about a fully stocked roster of guests? How about that? Thank you. Thank you. So guys, let me tell you, Bill has got this beautiful mind. And I was telling him before we came on the show that I was researching um, full name William Sargent. And I was researching everything that I could so that I could know as much as possible because Bill has this absolute, absolutely astonishing mind. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction before we go in and just have this wonderful conversation. He has 27 books that he has published. He is also a Boston Globe Winship Award winner. And he is, loves science and the environment. He went to Harvard. And I saw somewhere that he originally went for government because he is the son of a former um, governor of Massachusetts. So of course he was going to go and follow in the footsteps, but somewhere it said that formaldehyde triggered your love for nature. And that's where you <laughs> went into your love for science and the environment. And now you do a lot of work in the energy conservation field and you have a lot of knowledge in that area and you go and you've been on oceanic ships, you've been all over the world, oil rigs and everything. And I'm going, I've been to a lot of places, but I haven't been where Bill has been. And I need to, I need to really know what I'm talking about, or at least know how to listen effectively tonight. So <laughs> I got caught up right in the beginning and like the beautiful mind that you are, you, you were able to jump in there. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Bill. I am excited to have this conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me. So formaldehyde, I've really got to understand how that <laughs> triggered your love for nature. When I read that, I was like, that is the most interesting thing I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it actually, it sort of brought, it was like um, what Proust and uh, uh, what was it? Um, memory of, of things past, mm -hmm. you know, smelling, uh, tasting the madeleines and his tea. Um, I, as an undergraduate, I spent all my time in the Museum of Comparative Zoology at Harvard, uh, and you, the whole building smelled of formaldehyde because Ooh. it was full of all kinds of uh, specimens from from all over the world. Um, so that so that the smell of formaldehyde sort of reawakenings an intellectual uh, awakening that that I had at that time. Yeah. 
That's interesting. And and that's all it took to get you away from a life in politics. It wasn't nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, actually, you know, I grew up, uh, I, I like to say I was a happy heathen on the Cape, uh, Cape Cod in, in Massachusetts. And I grew up, you know, I was out on a boat every day. I'd get up at six in the morning and I'd, I'd be out. I'd be looking at horseshoe crabs and catching fish and digging clams and uh, just, you know, just enjoying myself. Um, so I, I always had this appreciation of nature. Um, and then I also like to write. And I sort of think those two things go together. There's a mm. lot of, of nature writers um, that have an appreciation for nature and also like the writing. Um, so then actually when I was in college, I actually was sitting beside Al Gore and we were in a special seminar and Roger Revelle uh, showed us a graph of carbon dioxide going up in the atmosphere. It was the first time that anybody had seen this graph. Mm-hmm. And we, as soon as we saw that, we realized, wow, you know, this is a real problem. Now that the scientists know about it, um, by the time we graduate, you know, it'll all be solved. And that was 40 years ago. And what have we done about it? Virtually nothing. We're, we're, we're actually just within the last couple of years, we're starting to come to grips with, with some of those things. And then the other thing I did is I took the year off and I worked on an oceanographic vessel and we went to Africa and South America and up into the Baltic and I was taking plankton toes every day. So you put a net down and you collect all the, uh, the surface animals and the animals um, at, at about 200 meters. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time we did that, the net would come up full of oil. Uh, and I realized, you know, the, the whole world, all the world's oceans were covered with oil at that time. Um, wow. you know, now we're concerned with plastic. At that yeah. time, it was oil and it was mostly coming from ships. And they did pass uh, regulations. So now the, the uh, oil tankers have to have double hulls. So there's less of a problem with oil. So we, we can, you know, we can solve some of these some of these problems. Yeah, you know, I um, I had a, a great conversation with a gentleman who worked in the waste management field. He's a PhD. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it, it was last year. And he worked in conservation in the waste management field. And it, it, it's so interesting. All of these great minds that, like yourself, who can bring to the table these opportunities to make our world better, but it comes to the regulations that just don't, it just doesn't start to happen sometimes. And it's fascinating because the information is there, right? Yeah, the information is there and the technology is there. There's a whole lot of, of interesting ideas and people are trying all of them. We don't really know which ones are gonna pan out and, and which ones might not. Um, I, one of the things that I've just been writing about, everybody's concerned about that big blob of, of uh, sargassum weed that's about the size of the United States that is starting to come ashore uh, in Florida. Mm-hmm. And of course, it will ruin the tourist business because it rots and it stinks and, and everything like that. But there's also an opportunity there. A, you can use that as fertilizer. So if you bury that in the sand dunes, it fertilizes the, uh, the, the, the dune grass. 
Um, and so you'll have a, you know, a thick uh, bed of dune grass that, that is protecting the shore and stopping erosion. Mm -hmm. The other thing you can do is if you bury it, if you sink it mm -hmm. uh, below 450 feet, um, the little nodules that keep it floating uh, will will collapse and then it will sink all the way to the ocean floor. And what you've done is you've removed all of that carbon dioxide. You've removed the carbon mm -hmm. um, that's in the sargassum. So it's a it's a fairly cheap, inexpensive, you know, inexpensive and, and easy way to get rid of a fair amount of, of carbon dioxide. So th there are a lot of things like that. Wow. Um, yeah. Now, we live down here on the border of Mexico. We're in Brownsville, Texas, where SpaceX Starbase is at. Okay. And recently we had... Um, I've heard of Texas, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. We love we love our little our little plot of land down here. Um, so we I, recently go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. We recently had uh, the largest rocket that that went that went up, and of course it exploded in the air. They were using fuel that is found on Mars, and I'm not very savvy with the name of what this fuel is, but it's it's one of the fuels that is found naturally on Mars. And the reason why Elon used mm -hmm. it was because the hopes of obviously going there and coming back one day because there wouldn't be enough to get them back if they don't use something that's naturally on Mars. No. And there's a lawsuit now. They're suing some people, somebody suing the FAA because they do not believe that they did a properly well, in economic impact mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the area down here because Boca Chica Beach, which is a natural beach to the area, has a lot of wildlife. It's a wildlife preserve, but Starbase mm. is there. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I, it's it's fascinating. Like I said, I don't know a whole lot, but I I pay attention to those small little things. I I, I yeah. cut you know on the the bottles when you have the plastic. I cut it so that. Yeah the turtles don't get stuck in it, but I think it's amazing. Yeah. I can, I can tell you a, a Texas story. Uh, and that, and that is uh, when my father was in the 10th mountain, which was the ski troops. And one of his yeah. buddies in the 10th mountain said, uh, Oh, you should, you should buy, uh, you know, I can, I can get you a percentage of an oil well in Texas. Uh, so he, he, he bought that. Um, and then when he was in office, he had to divest himself of it. So he gave it to me and my two sisters. And um, and that was, you know, that was fine. That was what it, that was in the days when oil was a good thing. Yeah. And yeah. and um, and but we started getting telephone calls and letters and even checks in the mail, people people wanting to buy you know, my section of, of uh, the oil well. And I figured, well, these guys know something I don't know. Uh -huh. uh, so I hung on to it. My sisters both sold it. I hung on to mine to figure it out. And then I figured out, oh, what they're doing is they're probably fracking this well. Mm. So I called up the company, uh, it was Denbury. And I said, you know, when are you going to start fracking my well? And they said, no, no, we're not fracking it. What we're doing is we're taking um, carbon dioxide uh, from a, 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 an electric plant in Mississippi and we're putting it down in the well to push the oil out. 
Um, and but what we're doing is we're keeping the the um, the carbon dioxide down there. So they were actually sequestering carbon dioxide. Wow. So it was. Um, and frankly, I've always been very impressed with how knowledgeable people in Texas are about energy. Mm. Um, and as you probably know, Texas uh, is the leading state for both wind energy and solar energy. Uh, but I'm always impressed, you know, when you talk to people in Texas, they say, oh, yeah, I live above the Permian Basin or I'm on, you know, here or there. And they know the geology. Um, all I know is I took rocks for jocks in college. And, you know, that, that was about it. <laughs> well, I do know when I'm driving. Um, so we're on the southernmost tip of Texas. The only thing more right. southern than where, where I'm at is South Padre Island um, and the ocean. Right. So um, when I drive out of the valley here, I drive by Corpus and I Corpus is even more north than I am. And all you see is windmills for, for hours and hours. You're seeing yeah. windmills. And it's it's such a beautiful sight. I keep yeah. telling myself to stop somewhere in, with a camera and take some awe-inspiring picture. But I never do because I'm always like, no, I got to get to where I'm going because it's usually yeah. a 17-hour drive. But yeah. it's funny you mentioned the 10th Mountain. Um, I was stationed with the 10th Mountain Army Division in Afghanistan in 2006. So wow. a great a phenomenal group of individuals. Uh, God bless every single one of them because uh, I couldn't do what they do. So I just yeah. want to give a shout out to all of uh, the troops out there, the 10th they, Mountain Army Division. They're amazing. Yeah, they, you, they were probably better behaved than than the guys, you know, with my father. <laughs> they used to get drunk and rappel down the side of the, I forget, the big hotel in Denver. Um uh, but everybody let them do it, you know. They, well, yeah, there's they, a little they, bit. They, of, they were heroes. <laughs> there's a little bit of that going on, you know. Sometimes you get away with certain things when you when you have yeah. to go do some really sucky stuff, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about your latest book that um, that you have out. What um, what is your main message with this book? Well, it's basically a, a book about. Um, the lives of three journalists, uh, and they're covering COVID, the climate, and uh, and the war in Ukraine. Um, and so, what I frankly, the the book came about because you know, in the midst of, I had been writing a lot of natural history books about you know horseshoe crabs and lobsters and squid and how they're used in medicine and stuff like that. But all of a sudden, you know, we were in the midst of three huge crises. Um, with COVID and the climate and and the war in Ukraine. And I really wanted to get into that. Um, I actually wrote um, this book right here. I don't know if you could see it. It's called World on Edge. And that was a nonfiction book. Um, but then I realized, no, I, this should really be a people story. And so I, I kind of used a lot of the information from that book and rewrote it as a novel about these three journalists. And, you know, I think they're very personable people and, um, and they have their own life stories and they, and, and they grow. Um, the, the woman who's covering the environment, um, you know, she's famous for jumping on planes and going to Siberia and, you know, to Dar es Salaam and, you know, all over the world. But gradually she realizes, no, that she's very much part of the problem. You know, flying around the world like that is about the worst thing you could do in terms of 
of uh, carbon emissions. Um, mm. So later on in the book, uh, she actually gets a Tesla and she drives around the country uh, in a Tesla um, doing doing the same kinds of stories. And actually, I just I, I just drew drove uh, from Boston down to New Orleans and my partner continued on through Texas to Tucson. And you know how much gas we used? None. Really? <laughs> yeah. And, and we, and it, we probably only cost us maybe two or $300 in charging fees. Um, because she has a daughter in New York who has a, you know, has a, a an outlet and another one in Washington. So it was, and she has one on her roof. So she gets, her roof provides a third of the energy for heating and cooling her house. A third of the energy goes to charging the Tesla and a third goes back to our town. Wow. Um, so it's a, and, and it's, you know, I think it's, it's quite, um, it's quite beautiful that, you know, these are dark, dark glass shingles that you have yeah. on the house. Uh, it's it just, just very impressive. And they're fun to drive. It's like driving a rocket. <laughs> oh, you know, the only thing that has stopped me from getting, so we have a Tesla dealership here in town, obviously, since right. we have space at Starbase here 20 yep. minutes down the road. The only thing that has stopped me from getting a Tesla is that they don't have one that'll fit all of my dogs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have five dogs, yeah. me and my husband, and we all go together. So I'm like, I, I need one just a little bit bigger, please, Elon. Can you give me you, just one a little bit bigger? <laughs> you've, you've got well, maybe if he hears this show, I'm sure he'll give you one. Or maybe he, you or you can get two. One for the dogs and one for you. <laughs> well, he, yeah, exactly. Let's just I'm I'm gonna hook it up. There we go. I'm gonna just hook it up to the one car and then we're going to, we're going to trolley on by. There we uh, go. That's a good idea. <laughs> I, you know, I find that story fascinating because we are in the day and age where we're having massive things happening all at once. Um, I was in Bulgaria, I was in Kosovo in 2008 and in Bulgaria in 2015. And my um, one of the gentlemen who worked for, for me was a captain in the Yugoslavian army. And that was back in the Cold War time. And he was telling me how some of the things that had went on during the Kosovo war and when the Ukraine war kicked mm -hmm. off, yeah. it was like all of the things he told me started coming back up in my mind. And I just found it just, wow, this is happening during my time. And then it, it, all the stuff with COVID and then all the, the climate stuff. And you're, you're right. It's all coexisting at the same time. And, whereas, and not only coexisting, but I think it's all related. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. Well, a lot of people think that uh, part of the reason that, that um, you know, Putin started the war is that um, he was, he got very paranoid um, with, mm -hmm. with COVID and um and kind of wanted to make his mark you know in in russian history um yeah. and you know so that that might be the relation there you know certainly there's a connection between covid and the environment um mm. so i think they're you know they are all connected and that that was one of the things that i try to get into in the in the book mm. very interesting if you could pinpoint one thing in the environment that or one thing that humans or even legislature could 
kind of push our environment to a better place. If we could just one big impact, what could be one big impact that we could do? I mean, human kindness, obviously, and the human part of it, human kindness would be the biggest one. But for the environment, what could we do? Would it be to decrease, you know, and get on solar power? Would it be to get rid of gas? Would it be to get rid of oil? What what would be our biggest impact? Well, well, the big game changer, of course, will be um, uh, nuclear energy fusion. Um, mm. And, um, you know, we're, we're making strides. There's a number of different labs, both government labs and privately funded labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they're starting to get the funding they need to solve some of these problems. Um, and they're, you know, they're getting some, they're getting some return. They're, they're getting, they're producing more energy than they, than they have to put in, uh, which is an indicate that's, that's the direction to be going. And it will, it will be, um, unlike fission, you don't have nuclear wastes. Uh, mm. And it's extremely safe um, because if anything happens, the whole system just just closes down. Mm. Um, so um, I, you know, that that would be a huge game changer. And of course, it doesn't release any any carbon dioxide. Now, your characters in your book do they follow that same train of thought? Uh, yes, I actually I have the uh, woman. Actually, I have both. The woman who is covering the climate uh, and the guy who's covering the war in Ukraine uh, go visit some of these, um, uh, some of the labs. And one of them is the ITER lab in, in uh, southern France. Uh, and that's a government lab. It's a consortium of about 35 different uh, governments that are all working on what's called the Tokamak um, uh, system. And, um, and then there's also some systems in you know in the silicon valley that are being supported by bill gates and you know all the billionaires <laughs> uh <laughs> and um and they're making real strides uh and so nobody knows you know who's going to solve everything first but i think it is going to i think all those problems are going to be solved and that you know and that you know that might happen by the 2030s and actually I think the 2030s are are going to be really crucial to us um, mm. because that's it's going to be the hundredth anniversary uh, of the Dust Bowl. It's also when the tides are it will, what are called proxygen tides, and this is when the moon is closest to the Earth and the Earth is closest to the sun, and you have these extremely high tides uh, wow. plus you know, plus sea level rise, you're going to have, I, I, I remember just a week, two weeks ago, um, in, in about a dozen major uh, newspapers, there were articles about how houses, you know, being washed into the sea. Yeah. And that, you know, that was in Miami, that was in New York, that was in uh, New England, it was in Texas, it was in Hawaii and, and um, Alaska. So yeah. it's, you know, it's happening all over the world. I, I think I, I've actually written several books about sea level. I, I use, uh, I've been using an island near us called Plum Island as a case study for sea level rise. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's the, uh, it's the fastest moving problem that we have in the environment. And it's an amazing people story too. I mean, people mm-hmm. are, 
they've put their whole livelihoods into these houses um, and they're, you know, about ready to lose everything. Um, so it's a very poignant story. And, yeah. um, and, you know, the amazing thing is that people are still doing it. Um, I don't know how many times I've seen, you know, a house get washed away. They put that empty lot on the market. A developer comes in, buys the lot, builds the house, another house very quickly and mm -hmm. is able to sell it before the next erosion season come. And of course, you know, we had one person bought a house in New England, sight unseen from San Francisco, and yeah. now his house is right on the on the edge of the of the ocean. That's a shame. I, yeah. I watched a news um, broadcast just the other day because that's the first thing I do in the morning. I've got my certain news channels. I'm just like my dad. I, I believe <laughs> I'm I'm just exactly like him. Yeah. But um, there's an island where I believe it's predominantly Native Americans. Um, I don't know exactly where the island is, but they've evacuated 90% of the people. Uh, there's still a few, just a few people left still inheriting still living on the island yeah but it's almost all uh, all under the ocean now and i can't remember where it's located at but i watched that and i, I just thought they're they're losing their heritage like it, this is their island right this yeah. is their piece of land and only they're the natural inhabitants of this island they're the only people that inhabit this island yeah, yeah. Actually, that might have, we might have seen the same thing. There was one, and this was an island off of Panama, uh, okay. and the people were living very, very closely. You know, just packed in there, and the and the waters have been rising. And they're finally they're going to re, you know relocate all those people to track houses. I yeah. mean, and, and here they are. They've been on this beautiful little atoll, you know, out in the middle of the ocean, and now yeah. they're going to be just in these you know yeah. sort of barren track houses that they've just cut out of the jungle um and, so they're going to lose you know all that heritage heritage and culture right and the, yeah, yeah i uh, probably because i watch good morning america abc that's my favorite news station so right. it was probably yeah. yeah but it's it's absolutely fascinating because our our world is changing and instead of flowing with the change as humans because we are human we try to fight against it and say, well, we've got these big brains. We'll just make it work for us. Yeah. Um, I understand. It's, it, it, it's those big brains that have gotten us in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> right. I understand some things we can make work for us, but yeah. it has to work for us and our environment. And when we can do that, there becomes this beautiful synchronicity that it just, it works. It works wonderful. And one doesn't have to lose. And I think that's the beauty of, climate change and co conservationism right. basically right so where can everybody go and grab a copy of your book at uh well you can get it uh you can you know order it through your local bookstore uh you can also get it on on my site which is william sergeant dot net i think and you can also get it on amazon Okay, perfect. Yeah. And if people want to connect with you, Bill, where can they connect with you at? Is it are your socials on your website as well? Uh, yeah, through the website. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And do you have a copy of it that we can see it, or is it just your? Oh your... yes, I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we go, right here. Backstory. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 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 
it's with it's a, amazing with a, with, a, with a terrible reflection on it but <laughs> <laughs> well i i mean i don't think anyone ever sees what my eyes actually look like anymore with these glasses <laughs> so i'm quite used to the reflection myself yeah. i've added your website here so people have a clickable link but if Terrific. there's anybody out there when they listen to the podcast later in the week it's https semicolon backslash backslash w-i-l-l-i-a-m-s-a-r-g-e-n-t dot n-e-t so they can go and they can write it down as they're listening but make sure you're not driving or anything like that when you're listening <laughs> to the podcast because we do have some folks that drive to work and listen because we they get some great information from the authors that come on to the porch and share their wonderful knowledge so what is your next big project because i'm sure you've got some amazing ones out there I'm I'm just writing some articles. I you know I write for the my local paper, um, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm writing some articles. I would love to do another fiction book. I I really enjoyed that, um, yeah. so I'm going to see how this one does, and if it does well, uh, I may write another fiction book. Well, it sounds and- fascinating because reporters. I mean, I like I said, I've got my morning news, I have my afternoon news. And then the soap operas come on, I press mute <laughs> and I sit in silence for a little while. Soap operas are great, but they're not my gig yeah. unless they're Golden Girls. I still watch <laughs> Golden Girls. And then oh, my oh, even... <laughs> that, that, that's the dirtiest program on television. <laughs> <laughs> and then my evening news comes in and I fall asleep. So I right. think a lot of people want to get into the heads of reporters. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you've got the, th- the trifecta of the things going on a lot of people want to learn about so i think that it's going to be a smashing hit across the globe not just in the united states but everywhere because it, it is a worldwide issue that's hitting well thank you very much and i yeah I, you you know journalists live wonder really exciting lives you know you're you're constantly you know going off to a different place uh and and you're constantly learning things um so i try to bring some of that excitement into the book yeah, I you know, for me, they live very scary lives. Like, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is breathtakingly scary some of the things that I see these journalists living through. Like the current journalist who is wrongfully detained in Russia right now. I could not imagine. Um, I will do all of my hosting of my show here in the comfort of my home. Um, some people are made for certain things. Thank you for the things that you were made for in your beautiful mind and taking care of all the knowledge of helping people make beautiful, wonderful decisions on keeping our climate safe. Um, I'm going to keep talking to people because I love bringing their stories to light, shining the light on them here on the author's porch. I've had a great time talking to you, Bill, and learning so much more. I want to delve into that book. It sounds fascinating, absolutely fascinating, because I have been glued to the screen since these three things have come into the limelight. Um, They've hit very close to home for me. So I'm going to go grab me a copy of Backstory. I hope everybody else goes and grabs a copy of Backstory, because you really want to learn more from a journalistic viewpoint and from somebody who has the actual knowledge and expertise in the field of all three of these items. So Bill, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we hit on because I get a little chatty sometimes and forget that I'm not the guest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had that problem too. I've, I've tried to, to sit on the other side and all I do is talk. Right? I can't <laughs> ask, ask questions. Uh, 
No, I, I'll just say that the book, um, I try to make it, uh, you know, if I can understand something, then I can explain it to somebody else. So a lot of the chapters are very, very short, uh, but I try to get to the essence of, of some of these often fairly complex um, issues. Uh, but I try to explain them simply and kind of make it fun. And, uh, and the nice thing about fiction is you can you can have two or three people talking about it. So they can, they can ask all the dumb questions that you might be, you know, scared to ask because you don't want to look like you don't understand what, you're, what they're talking about. So, uh, I mean, that in my field, and this is probably true with you too, there's no, the only, the only um, dumb question is the one you never asked. Um, Very that, true. That's when you get in trouble and you later on say, gee, I wish I'd, figured that out <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah absolutely well bill thank you so much for being here tonight well thank um, you it's and, been a pleasure and you ask very good questions <laughs> oh well thank you thank you very much i did try to make sure i did enough research i was like oh man we've got a harvard graduate he's got a lot of awards he's super smart you better learn you better learn <laughs> Guys, make sure you come back here. Um, we have more shows coming later on the week. Make sure you come back and find your new, your best, next favorite author, your next favorite book, because that's what we want to do. Shine a light on your next favorite author and learn about great books out there in the world. Bill, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll see you next time here on The Author's Porch. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>